Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, found in your pew Bible on page 979. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the, of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The word of God for the people of God. I don't know if kids still do this in science classes where you have a picture of a bug and you get to draw lines and label the parts of the bug and you get to color it in. I loved that. I drove my friends crazy because I would use different crayons and I would have multicolored bugs they didn't like. But can you still remember the, the, the three parts, the, the, the head, the abdomen, and the thorax? Now, that's really effective teaching. I've learned that this long. Well, guess what? You know Greek. Thorax is the breastplate. So there, you've learned something. I just love it when I run across something that's recognizable that we still use. The idea of the thorax is that kind of the body around us where all our internal organs are, and it's protected by a breastplate is the term we use now, but that was what it was. It was a, a, a metal piece that would cover up and protect um, all your, your vital organs. And so as we're talking about taking up the, the various parts of the whole armor of God, part of that armor is protecting your body. And the, the, this, this idea of putting on, it's, it's the clothing yourself. You're clothing yourself with this this armor, this thorax of righteousness. All right, so we need, to, we need to look at what righteousness is as we start to think about this. Um, righteousness, I think sometimes we get the idea is that this is a big list of things people don't do. Some of you grew up in churches where the idea of righteousness was you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't dance, you don't watch certain shows, you don't listen to this kind of music. Um, I know I, I had the, the strong understanding that righteousness was burning Twisted Sister albums. Do you, do you ever get the sense that that's what righteousness is about? It's the things you don't do. And then you can look down on those who do those things. I, I think that's why we kind of think of people who are self-righteous is they, you know, there's the temptation to think I'm better because this is the list of things I don't do. But that is not the biblical understanding of righteousness. The, this word that's righteousness is also the word 
justice. And so we're clothing ourselves with justice. We're clothing ourselves with righteousness. And I, I think we're in a time when there's a lot of talk about justice. And there's, I, I'm going to say there's some confusion about justice. So let's make sure we understand what is meant by justice. Justice is giving to someone what is owed to them, what someone deserves. So um, we, we can think about, um, you know, punitive kind of criminal acts that someone has done something and there is a punishment that is deserved. But we can also think of rewards. If someone does a certain work, justice demands that they're paid appropriately for that work done. Justice is treating someone as they deserve to be treated. And so, um, you know, I've, I've noticed that lately there's the, the term social justice being used. By the way, a word that started in the church it was the understanding of we want a society that maintains justice. And my, my fear is that word has been used in a way that's making Christians uncomfortable with talking about justice because of the way it's been misused in some ways. So when we talk about justice, one of the things we don't want to do is group people into a category and treat everyone in that category as though they are innocent or guilty for belonging in that category. That is not justice. Moreover, I think there's times we, we, we confuse justice with mercy and grace and charity and generosity. That is, there's the claim that justice means you ought to go beyond what is deserved and um, be more generous, more merciful, more gracious. That's not justice. And here's the thing. Those are still things we ought to do. As Christians, we are called to generosity. We're called to be merciful and gracious. But if you confuse categories, you take away from me the opportunity to be gracious. If something is coerced or if something is obligated, it's no longer something that's done out of grace. Grace is something undeserved. So in other words, if we're, we're saying you are obligated to um, show kindness and mercy to someone, you've destroyed the aspect of it that is uncoerced and unpushed. I'm getting really offhand here, I think. But anyway, justice is what is owed, what is obligated, what is deserved. Not just personal kind of um, things, but my interactions with one another, other people, your interactions with neighbors and others. One of the, the examples of the use of this word, do you remember when Jesus is going to be born and in Matthew, we're told how uh, Joseph is, um, has found out about this, and he's going to put Mary away. He's going to um, divorce her, but he's going to do so quietly. And the Scripture says, because he is, and he uses this word, he's a just man. He's going to treat her appropriately. He's going to treat her right. He's a righteous man. Righteousness and justice are in his treatment of Mary so, giving people what is owed to them, what is their due. That means we're straightforward in our dealings with others. We're, we're honest in the way we um, go about business. We fulfill obligations we've made to people. If we um, tell someone we're going to do something, if, if there are certain requirements of us, 
we fulfill that obligation. We don't seek ways to get out of what we ought to do. Uh, worship um, uh, of God is a just thing before, because God deserves our, just, our worship and our praise. I, I, I think so much of the confusion uh, of a lot of so many churches and about worship is we make it about us. We make it about something I want to feel and I want to experience. And Well, I know y'all don't. If you're here, you're not feeling it. You're not here. You're not here for the experience. I get that. <laughs> we, we worship God because God is worthy of our worship, and it is unjust to decide we're not going to worship him. It is unjust to um, deny giving thanks and praise to a God who is worthy of it. Our dealings with husbands and wives and children and parents, some of the things that Paul spoke about earlier in Ephesians, you made vows. You have obligation to treat one another in certain ways. By, by ha- children are obligated to show honor to parents. Parents, you're obligated to nurture children in gentleness and grace. We are honor. We're, we're obligated to build one another up, honor one another, nurture one another. It, it's what we're called to do. Our neighbors and those who have authority over us, um, we have obligations to people we work for, we work with, that we serve. We, we kind of enter into business with them. We are to show respect to those in authority over us. We're, we're supposed to um, do our best to care for those um, that we have um, also a, a obligation to everyone because everyone is created in God's image that someone, regardless of the way they believe, regardless of, of their faith or lack of faith, because they are created an image of God, everyone you encounter is worth, worthy of dignity and respect that is owed to someone who represents the image of God. And so we, we don't judge others as you are somehow beneath being worthy of my respect. I disagree with you so I can, I can treat you like an enemy. That, that is not the place for a Christian because we're going to be just and we're going to treat all people with the honor that someone bearing God's image deserves. So we clothe ourselves in this, remembering that to love the Lord your God is also to love our neighbor. We, we, can't, we, we can't truly love God if we're not being just and righteous in our dealings with others. God, Jesus held those together that loving our neighbor is along the lines of loving God because the way I love God is also the way I love my neighbor. So how are you in personal righteousness? Taking out the list of things you don't do that you're not supposed to do. Are there areas in your life where you're treating others as they don't deserve? Are there areas in your life where you're treating people in a way you know God would not have you treat them? Are there areas in your life where you're treating people in a way your, your own conscience tells you you shouldn't. And so we, we, we have to um, be just in our righteousness with others to show 
to understand, um, to fulfill our, our standing with God. So that if we're going to stand against the attacks of the evil one, which is what the armor is for, if we're going to endure, we are going to have to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We're going to have to live a life that imitates the justice and righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we are doing what he does. We're um, being the kind of person he would be, which only makes sense. The natural progress of the Christian life is you become more like Jesus. If you're a disciple, that's what being a disciple means, is you're learning to live more like Christ. You're growing not only in your understanding of concepts like the Trinity and getting to the point where you just say, it's a mystery. It's a good, good place. We get that. We need that. That's why we, we have conversations about grace and election and all these things. But it has to work out to the point where I'm loving and serving my brother and sister, and I'm loving and serving my neighbor. But it has to be worked out like that to truly follow Christ. It, it, it makes sense. We, we become like what we give attention to. Um, we, we don't profess faith and immediately start acting like Jesus. We grow in this. We we attend to it, and whatever gets our attention the most kind of shapes us and forms us. Have you ever noticed um, maybe you watch a TV show and you start talking more like some of the characters? Have you ever noticed your kids going off to school and coming back talking ways your family doesn't talk? Have you ever noticed yourself picking up things just where, where your attention is, you start acting like? I, I make the speakers mistake of a lot of times going, um, um, um. In Scotland, they don't go, um, they go, aim. Came back from Scotland. I got a lot of funny looks, aim, aim. I didn't intentionally do it. It's just what I'm around. And so we're formed and we're shaped like the one we're around, where we're giving our attention to. We grow in this maturity. That's why clothing our righteousness um, is attending to God's word, worshiping him, coming to the sacraments. These things form us, but it's not passive. We clothe ourselves. It has to be active. It has something to be done. I'm, I'm afraid sometimes as, as we talk about grace, we, we sometimes talk as though um, that, that we are just going to just sit around and become holier without effort. That is not what Paul gives us. Paul tells us to put to death sin. You fight against sin in your life. You mortify it. You, you struggle against things, and you fight against temptation. Paul talks about disciplining the body, that we need self-discipline, that we, we train in righteousness, that we look at people around us. I, I'll, I love being in a church where I look at some of you, and I notice the way um, you maturely deal with others, and that it's an example to me where I say, I wish I was more like this person. And you've trained me in righteousness as I grow and, and want to deal with situations more like you do. And that's the way we train. We, we see models and we, we grow as we follow Christ together and we see that goodness in one another. We mature, we grow, but it's effort. It's not something we just say, this is going to happen to me. This is something just mystically going to happen apart from 
our efforts, our training, our response to the grace that is given to us, relying on God's grace absolutely, trusting in him and realizing it is all of him, but it's him working in us. Let me give you two reasons you need personal righteousness and holiness and justice to be able to stand. If someone um, watched a lot of cooking shows, spent way too much money on cooking gadgets, had a lot of recipe books and hung out at Williams-Sonoma, had fond memories of their parents cooking, but never cooked, are they a cook? How many, I mean, the, the parallel to some Christians is obvious. And if, if we never live out what we profess, if we never live out what God calls us to be, there's a question about whether or not we really are. And if you have not grown in holiness, if you're not living a life consistent with your profession, one is others are going to have questions, but the main thing is you're going to have questions. You're going to have doubts. How often are my doubts a result of my continued sin, my continued rebellion, Do you know what the name Satan means? Accuser. He comes to us as I have again sinned in a way that I'm going to confess on Sunday, and I, I confess again and again, and he whispers in my ear, are you really a Christian? A real Christian would not have responded like that. A real Christian wouldn't be struggling with this this long. Are you really following Jesus? Do you ever have that in your ear? Do you ever struggle and you, you, you've, you've sinned again and there's this question, am I really, could he really forgive me this many times? You need to live following Jesus, pursuing righteousness, in part to confirm to yourself, he is at work in me. He, he is doing something. I am growing in righteousness. Because I, those aren't, even if they're not signs of lack of salvation, you cannot be joyful and assurance and confident in your walk with Christ if you're spending that much time on your, in your own sin rather than serving in others and focused on others. So there's a sense in which for your own ability to stand, to not be looking and questioning, there needs to be fruit and righteousness. The other is our effectiveness in pursuing Christ and doing his work. If people can look at believers who have not fallen consistently, well, they, it does take away from living the message. We, we don't proclaim ourselves. And looking at us is, is not what we call, but at the same time, if we were to say we believe in God's holiness and righteousness and don't live consistent with it, how easily do we turn off those who we would share the grace of God with? Um, you know, I just, I just think of the times I'm cut off with somebody with a little Jesus fish. I, I, um, someone tells me the story of someone um, being behind um, someone else, I believe it, uh, one of the grocery stores here. Some of you will recognize this story of um, 
um, the, the quote is, hey, buddy, if you're going to be cussing out that clerk like that, take off that uh, promise keeper shirt. The way we live shows something about, and so if we're going to be effective, we have to be pursuing Christ in holiness and righteousness. Our personal righteousness, our personal justice is crucial. We have to be empowered to stand before him. And yet, if we only look at ourselves, we will nothing but despair. The only way we can truly be righteous is realize that we are clothed with his righteousness, and this is a theme that goes throughout Scripture, that we are clothed in righteousness. What happened when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden? Their measly fig leaves were removed. and God clothed them. He gave them this. It was a sign of what he's going to be doing so that Job 29.14 picks up on this metaphor, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice is like a robe. The psalmist prays in Psalm 132, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. Isaiah 59 talks about God who is coming in justice and to execute righteousness. He puts on righteousness as a breastplate. So this breastplate that we have is not our righteousness, it is his righteousness, it is his breastplate. That's why it's the armor of God. Isaiah 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exalt my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks herself like a priest. Zechariah 3, 4, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garment from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This is the sign of what God does for you, that he takes your sin, your filthy garments, he takes them away from you, and he clothes you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your sins are removed, his righteousness is given to you, so that you stand before the Father clothed in the righteousness of Jesus himself, so that when the prodigal returns, he's given a robe. When Ephesians is telling us to clothe ourselves with the righteousness of God, he picks up on something you'd said earlier in chapter 4 when he tells us to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of living, and to um, put on the new self. That's clothing ourselves in the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So now we put, our, we put on the breastplate of his righteousness, the robe he gives us, and then we have confidence to stand. That we're growing in righteousness because we are clothed in his righteousness and we're looking at him. We, we sang one of my favorite hymns. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because your sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free. For God is just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. As great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. If you are a Christian, it means you have given your old clothes away all the filthiness of your old self, and you are now clothed in righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have confidence to stand because it is not your own righteousness that you stand. You pursue righteousness, but you stand confident in his righteousness. And if, you, if you've never done that, if you're living before God as though your own good deeds are what merits your standing, you will despair 
or you will think that you are more righteous than you are and look down on others. Only when you see the righteousness that is offered you in Christ. And you can have that this very moment. It's simple as now saying, I repent and I trust in him. And you are clothed in his righteousness. This is also what baptism points to. We clothe ourselves. We are putting to death the old. We're removing who we once were, and we're putting on the newness of Christ as he washes us and cleanses us and gives us his righteousness. Trust him in obedience. Pursue him in a life of righteousness and trust in his own righteousness as your salvation. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.